0: Welcome back to the Three Big League Podcast. In this episode, we talked to Zach Miller of the House that Rick built podcast to talk more about Billikens basketball. And then Tyler and I talked about some of the big games that we've had in the A-10 through the first two weeks of the season. Here's our interview with Zach. I'm
1: All right. So we want to welcome in Zach Miller from the House That Rick Built podcast. Pretty fantastic look at all St. Louis Billiken sports, not only the men's basketball team, but also women's basketball, soccer. I think you guys cover volleyball, too. Thanks for coming yeah. on.
2: Yeah. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. We uh we love doing it. We, we really like what our favorite thing is, I think, and my favorite thing is uh, getting to have these players on that, that I watched for four years, and I know Colin watched a couple of them for four, for four years, uh, uh, and just cover their career and give these guys a voice and give these ladies a voice uh, and let them tell their story in long form, uh, you know, in detail.
1: Yeah, so I'll start you off. One of the newer players, Yuri Collins, the freshman point guard of the Billikins. When I came on your podcast back long before the summer last year, you mentioned him as a guy that you thought would be a starter before the end of the year. Looks like he's headed that way. Just, I'll, we'll start off. I'll give you sixty seconds. Just say whatever you want about Yuri Collins.
2: Uh, I will. I will say one thing about Yuri Collins. It's Yuri mania, baby. <laughs> it's. I mean, this kid has come in and lit this. This school on fire i he's he's five foot nine maybe but he walks like he's six foot four uh huge <laughs> cojones, is this kid uh just he had 11 assists in his like second college game eight in his first uh flirting with double doubles in assists and points um there's not a lot you can you can he's unbelievable man he's it's gonna be a lot of fun watching him for four years i'll tell you that much for
0: what it's worth, he's listed at six foot on Ken Palm, oh. but I guess <laughs> a
2: little bit aggressive there. Oh, that's a little bit, although Travis Ford's really good about uh, about listing his height. <laughs> well, I mean,
0: he has been, he's been really good coming off the bench for Slew, though. Uh, we weren't really sure if he would be the guy from day one to take over as the point guard, and he's pretty much taken that role in stride, as you said one of the leaders in the country and assists so far, which has been super fun to watch. I wanted to ask about another freshman for St. Louis that actually I thought had a pretty solid game against Seton Hall. How about Jimmy Bell Jr., 6'11", one of the biggest guys in the conference. What do you expect from him?
2: Wow. Uh, Jimmy Bell Jr. We talked to this kid, uh, this young man. I'm sorry, Jimmy. Uh <laughs> We talked to this young man when he uh, committed to St. Louis, and I, I can't ta- tell you there's there's not a nicer guy um, that we've talked to uh, with the Billikens. He's, he's unbelievably nice, uh, strong, just – I mean, this dude lost 110 pounds. He he was upped at like 370. He's at 260 right now. Uh, he went completely vegan. Well, wow. uh, his 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 prep year, he went he went to a prep school in Arizona from Michigan, uh, went completely vegan, lived with his coach and his wife was a vegan chef or, or whatever. Um, but no, he's great. He's uh, he's still getting used to the, the pace. Um, he's a bit out of shape. I don't want to say out of shape because that has a negative connotation. But he's, uh, you know, he's still trying to catch his he, after 13 minutes in the, in the game, he looked like he played full 40 minutes. Uh, He's still got to get his legs under him, get his his, uh, lungs going, and uh, he'll be fantastic for us uh, once he kind of gets to that ideal playing weight or sheds that fat.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely thought, like, he might not have all the skills he needs right away, but I thought he did a really good job just drawing contact. I mean, Seton Hall is one of the tallest teams in the country, and he was able to hold his own out there, so... I was really impressed and I I don't know. I know he doesn't get a ton of minutes and maybe that has to do with the conditioning as you mentioned, but so I mean I think he's got a bright future because there's not too many guys in the A10 that are really going to match up with someone like that.
2: Well, it's not it's not, you know, it's not too often that you come in contact with a college body ready big man. Yeah. That, uh, he's built like a like a brick shit house, man. <laughs> it's inc- like he's He is a big man. Yeah. Uh, What did he have? Hold on. Give me one sec. Sorry. Bad radio. (laughs) He had uh, four offensive rebounds in that game against Seedal. That's that's impressive. I don't care who you are.
0: Yeah, no, he was real good. And then um, I guess one more guy I wanted to mention. I think he did maybe more damage in the first half, which is most of what I watched, but I thought Javante Perkins had a couple nice moments, especially when they put him out at the top of the one-three-one zone. He's got a lot of length and quickness out there. And then he also had a nice breakaway dunk. I know he came in kind of expecting to be a big-time scorer. I know he had big numbers at his previous school. What do you think about him so far?
2: I like him so far. Um, like you said, not uh, numbers don't jump off the page. That dunk got me out of my seat big time. I, I mean, that was a forty inch vertical, and he looked like he slept walk into it. Like, yeah, he's quick. I I couldn't. I mean, and my co- my co host Colin said from his seat, uh, he sits on press row. Uh, he said he kind of shifted his body mid air too to to make that that dunk happen. Um, he's just so smooth. Uh, nothing. He, he lets the game come to him. He doesn't look like he's out there trying, but he, he does good work out there. I, there's not much more I can say. I mean, you're bringing in a guy like Javante Perkins, who's a transfer. You're bringing in a guy like Tay Weaver, who's a grad transfer. Um, they're still getting to know this team. Um, they kind of, Javante didn't get on campus until the fall. So um, he had worked to finish up at Southwestern Illinois College. So he, uh, he came in even later than Tay Weaver, I think. Hmm. So he's still getting getting used to uh, Sandwich University and the team. Yeah, so
1: plenty of interesting newcomers, and it seems like SLU's not going to have an issue filling out their bench, filling out the back end of their starting lineup this year. But the two names that I'm sure most casual A-10 fans know by now, Jordan Goodwin and Hassan French, they now have to be the leaders and the stars of this team. Have you seen any changes from those two in the early going that – makes you believe they can replace Javon Bess and Tremaine Isabel and
2: the leadership that they brought to this team? I I laugh They say Tremaine Isabel brought leadership, but yeah. (laughs) Um, No, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, dude, Jordan Goodwin – uh, night and day. Not night and day. I shouldn't say night. I should say he, he stepped up his game to another level. Um, he's an, he's a, re, a guard rebounding machine. I, I joked on one of our tweets, that uh, or one of my tweets, I said, uh, he's the best rebounding guard in the country. I believe he's in the top 10, top 15 rebounding guards in the country, just on skill uh, in that spot and uh, athleticism. Um uh, I think he's always been a leader. He's been a leader since he got here on campus. Uh, The team seems to rally around him socially. Uh, They all love, they're all, you know, good friends off the court. They're always logging onto Instagram, doing live stories together. Um, This team seems to be so close. Uh, Hassan French, a little bit quieter, um, kind of the strong silent type. Uh, Nothing really. I, I don't. It, it, it's, he doesn't really stand out other than his his basketball playing for his leadership.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, that's interesting. And it kind of goes along with French's game. There's no flash to it at all. It's just brute strength and force. But one thing that really has kind of caught my eye with Goodwin here early in the season, he's four of nine from three. So do you think he can keep that above 33% for the year?
2: I don't see why not I think I think he's worked on that quite a bit as long as well as his free throw shooting and I think that shows as well I'm not sure where he is right now at free throw shooting but um he's impressed on both both aspects of his game Um, we we knew he could shoot I think he just needed to I don't know he's He's been a guy who can knock down a three when necessary. Uh, he's done it. He did it the last two years a little bit, and it seems like now he's kind of uh, he feels like he can assert himself and just go on and do it. Yeah, I'm on record from our preseason pods
1: saying that I think he's going to figure out the shooting this year, and if he does, he becomes a top ten guy in this conference. So I, I really hope that he can maintain it long term. I think the form is there, and since you mentioned it, he's at six. from the
0: line so far, but only on 14. Which is an improvement, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just in general, too, like going into this season, I I looked at Slew's team losing Bess and Isabel, and I wasn't sure where the points were going to come from, but the outside shooting's actually been way better than I expected. You got um, Demarius Jacobs at 39%, Gibson Jimerson at 44%, and then Tay Weaver 5 for 8 so far. I mean... I don't know if that's going to keep up forever, but so far, Swole's actually been one of the better three-point shooting teams in the conference.
2: Yeah, I think I think Travis knew that. You know, uh, sorry, uh, Demarius could shoot. Um, We knew Tay Weaver had had the ability to shoot coming in. He'd been talked about. Gibson Jimerson was a like a forty-eight percent. Three point shooter in high school, something stupid. His <laughs> slash line was off the charts. And it was, Majerus was quoted a long time ago saying, like, if your slash line is this, 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 you take that player sight on the scene. Um, and that's Gibson Jimerson's was above that. Um, what I think the difference is, is you you lose Tremaine Isabel scoring, but having Yuri Collins at the point, he's so much better than than uh, Isabel was at distributing the ball, that he's opening up so many lanes and making these great passes to find uh, Jimerson and Demarius and uh, Goodwin. Um, it, it's 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 all, all him opening up the court for these other players to make great shots.
1: Yeah. And you've got a lot more flexibility now, given that, Really, you have a pure point guard in Collins. You have Jordan Goodwin, who I've always felt like could certainly handle the position in a pinch. Plenty of good wings. And really the one guy who doesn't fit into the flexibility, Hassan French. I know you mentioned on your podcast last week, he's becoming a much better passer. And so this is a team that I... Oh,
0: Yeah, Of course we do.
1: Yeah, well, I got to do my prep work, Um, but... It just seems like a team that's going to have great
2: ball movement this season. Yeah, that's that's the hope. I mean, Hassan's passing has definitely improved, but I think that also comes with the fact that we have guys that can really knock down shots, and Hassan French isn't getting doubled every time. Um, the only real question mark – well, there's a couple of question marks, obviously, and you saw the free throw shooting. But uh, the only question mark with this team is its front court depth, front court depth. Uh, and we saw that in spades against uh, Seton Hall. So is there a guy that you're maybe looking at that could
1: emerge as kind of a big power forward in the way that DJ Foreman unexpectedly did
2: last year? I mean, it's, it's got to at this point, it's got to be Jimmy Bell Jr. Um, you've got uh, Madani Jara, uh, who is a excellent, excellent athlete uh, coming off a knee injury last season in high school um he's still not I don't he still I don't completely trust his knee uh just yet but he he, that kid can get up and down the floor uh real quick he runs it about as quickly as Hassan does but is as tall as Jimmy Bell I was kind of hoping he would come in a little bit early uh, or come in and kind of contribute uh quickly but that didn't happen that was kind of a prayer that wasn't answered so one guy we haven't really talked about yet one of
0: the few key returners to the Spillikens team. Fred Thatch is now in the starting lineup after being the sixth man most of last year. What do you think, or what do you think his outlook is for this season now that he's going to have to probably take on a bigger role on offense?
2: I think he's got to be that lockdown defender. That's going to take on that team's best player. I think he's got to, he's got to take over Javon Bess's defensive role. Um, He's obviously not going to score the way Javon Bess is, um, he he can knock down threes if asked. Um, he's got to get to the hoop, uh, get those layups in traffic, uh, take players off the dribble. Um, it, it's kind of a, a you know a, a teeter totter between who's going to step up. It feels like is it Jamarius Jacobs one game? Is it? They really are kind of interchangeable, minus maybe Thatch's defense.
0: Yeah, and I did notice too they actually they had him on Miles Powell at the beginning. Um against yeah, Hall, that was, so that's... I think
2: we Yeah, I think we predicted that on the podcast. I think that yeah. was kind of the no brainer given that he's uh Javon Best Light on defense. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't I, I it got so out of hand so quickly. And and it did come back and we did make a run at it. Um I really do feel like those four free throws at the beginning would have made a difference coming down when we cut it to like six and seven because yeah. I mean if we make three or four free throws that's that's a four-point game a three-point game so uh and who knows I mean Miles Powell could have hit a step back 40 footer in in Uri Collins face like he did early like later in the game so uh that kid was unbelievable like it's nuts yeah <laughs> So
0: I guess now that we've seen St. Louis have three pretty comfortable double-digit victories, and then after the Seton Hall loss, do your um, expectations change at all? I mean, I'll be honest, for me, they're looking a lot better than I expected, especially on offense. But I'm curious, like for you, I mean, obviously you know a
2: lot more about the program than me, so what are your expectations at this point? Um, I still want to see us finish in the top. For the conference, which has always been the goal, um, I don't think the changes at all. Uh, Steen Hall is a damn good team, top yeah, ten in the change. country easily. Uh, lottery pick, uh, potential two potential NBAers in the front court. Uh, in, I mean, Gill and uh, who was the other big stiff? Uh, they had a ton of them. <laughs> yeah, they have a Kale Mama yeah. Kuleshvieli. Uh geez, man. They were they were big. Um, no, I don't think it changes at all. I think uh, that's just a lot. That's how where you're going to have to take it on the chin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have to learn from it. Uh, we're young still. We're young and we are inexperienced together. So it's going to take till conference to really see where this team can reach its potential for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah.
1: So speaking of the potential for the rest of the season, I want to shoot some quick prediction questions at you. The first one being, I guess, just pretty simple. Where do you see the Billikens finishing in the eight ten 10 this year?
2: I would say fourth is, is reasonable. Um, okay. Obviously, VCU, Dayton are are the, the two teams uh, vying for the top. Um, I don't think Bonaventure's as good. I think Davidson's not as good. I think they only have a couple players um, that can – it can really impact the game in conference. Um, yeah. I'm throwing everybody under the bus right now. Uh, <laughs> GW is pretty good. Uh, they're going to be interesting to watch. They've been doing well. Uh, UMass remains to be seen. They've got, you know, a uh, shorthanded team. Um, yeah, I'd say fourth. I, I don't, I, I always think the Billikins are going to finish in the top half. I, but that's the, uh, that's the uh the positive thinking fan that I am I mean top half's pretty reasonable I think we both had them
1: in our top oh, seven. I, yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I I thought eight was way too low uh, for I mean I had I said five or better but after seeing the way they can uh, score on offense if they can lock down this defense I mean the sky's the limit for this team yeah you actually they're gonna me go to- as far as their defense can take them um, if the defense is bad, they're going to lose. If defense is good, they're going to win. They can always score the ball, but uh, which is, which is a wild proposition for any Billiken fan that's watched for the last 10 years. Uh, I mean, ever since Rick Majeris was brought here, we have been defense, 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 and now we're, we'll score the ball a lot and hopefully we win. But I mean, Travis is still preaching defend and rebound like Majerus was, but I just don't see it in this team. Um, He's trying to turn up the pressure, and I'm—I've never been really a huge fan of the pressure defense.
0: So, do you yeah. think is this the is this going to be the first year that the Dayton Saint Louis game is in the seventies? Because I feel like for years the slew game has always been the ugliest game of the year for Dayton. No matter who wins, that game is just like fifty-five to fifty-three or something like that.
2: We like mucking it up for you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean. I think I think I think for sure it'll be around in the 70s. Uh, although I worry that you know Dayton's going to get out. In tra- I worry if anybody starts getting out in transition, man. It's I don't like up and down basketball. <laughs> it makes me nervous.
0: Yeah, well, I will say as a Dayton fan, the Flyers are not playing any defense through two games, so they're not sure. they're not holding anybody to 70 points right now. It seems like anybody good at least. All right, Tyler, do you have something else?
1: Yeah, we were talking about the defense and just one thing I, I always think of with the Billikins. Travis Ford's going to figure it out eventually. I remember last year as late as probably mid-January, I thought this was a poor defense. And by March, all five guys on the court were just mauling other teams, playing against Eric Williams withstanding about the only time that that defense broke down. But one of the things I was really curious to hear from you as a of passionate Billiken's follower. Who do you think is the most likely guy to make the old defensive team on this squad? Goodwin, French, or Thatch? Uh,
2: I'm hoping Thatch, because that means he has become a lockdown defender on teams' uh, big players. I think it will be French, just for the sheer amount of blocks uh, he will have this season. He's a junior and already tied the school record for uh, blocks. Um, which I'm glad he didn't. Uh, I'm glad he didn't eclipse that number uh, on uh, last night during a loss. I'm really happy about that. So I, I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll eclipse it tomorrow uh, Wednesday night. Yeah, and another
1: thing, the guy, the guy that he didn't bring up there, Jordan Goodwin. Is there a path for him to be first team All Conference? Because this is this is my big sleeper prediction of the
2: year, and I kind of really want it to happen. The weird thing about Goodwin is, he, and I don't want to say he plays ugly, but he, he plays ugly. He's not the guy who's going to go out and go one-on-one and, and beat a guy off the dribble. I mean, he can, but he's going to get his rebounds, and that's how he's going to get his points. Um, he's going to have a three once in all that. I mean, he just is not that guy that you're like, oh, man, there goes that man again. Like, <laughs> there, there's not. He's just not that guy. Yeah. Um, you, nobody says, "Oh, sit back and watch Goodwin operate." No, I, I'll say, "Sit back and watch Hassan operate." I'll sit back and watch Yuri operate, but it ain't, it ain't Goodwin, uh, and that's just it's. It's not saying he's not skilled. It's not saying he's not a great player because he's a great player, but it's just not, not his game. Yeah, and I, just, I just don't think he's flashy enough to make that that team. I guess part of it is I'm I'm not necessarily
1: looking for flashes as, as much as most people. And to me, he's kind of like the role player god of this conference in the way that I see like obviously a different skill set, but Draymond Green in the NBA, he's a superstar sure. because he's just a way better role player than anybody else. I kind of yeah. see Goodwin as the A ten version of that guy.
0: I mean, if he can get a double double every game, I mean I don't think they can keep him off the list, can they? I would well, Langevin just about did for Rhode Island and they left him off. I I think we both didn't understand that one though.
2: I think they, I think they forget that we exist out here. But that's—I mean, you guys out in need, St.
0: Louis are thousand miles away from the rest of the conference. Just about. That, that, that's
2: why we need to get Belmont and uh, Loyola Chicago in here. Kick out Fordham and take your pick on the other one. <laughs>
0: yeah. No. I, no complaints on that.
1: <laughs> I will say the Loyola arena is small, but it is loud in there. Got to hey, see well, that that's firsthand what when recently. You make the Final
2: four. <laughs> uh, that, that's that's what happens when you make a final four you get massive crowd your next season your next two seasons yeah so moving
1: forward with slew um one of the big themes of a10 twitter so far has been the rise of sean east as everyone's favorite beloved twitter guy the UMA, the freshman umass point guard is we we've heard his praises sung to the heavens all year but not as much about Yuri Collins. So what do you guys got to do to get that name into the consciousness of A10 Twitter?
2: Um, hold on. Who do we play first? Because that's when it's going to happen. I mean, <laughs> that's why like I said people forget about us. It's ridiculous. We exist <laughs> out here, people. Uh, what is that, Duquesne? Or... Yeah, Duquesne on uh, the 2nd of, of uh, January. After that.
1: So Collins against Sincere Carey to start conference season.
2: I'm in. I'm ready for it already. That's, that's gonna be a great, a great, uh, a great matchup. And my favorite uh, most overrated player in the conference, Tavian Dunmartin. Oh, Tyler, what what are you gonna say
0: about that? I, I'm yeah. I'm excited. I'm just gonna sit back and let you guys talk All right, it uh, uh, th-
2: thanks for coming on. <laughs> <laughs> it great I episode. tweeted out. I tweeted out that he was the most overrated player in the conference. Not even adding him, and he clearly searches his own name on Twitter because he tw- he he quote tweeted me. It was the funniest thing ever. Fantastic. He, he's, we we can confirm
1: he's he has a lot of Twitter activity.
2: <laughs> I I, I, I want to know why. I'm sure his favorites are wonderful.
0: <laughs> All right. So I guess before we wrap it up, um, any more like. Predictions or just comments on the A-10 in general as we head closer and closer toward the conference season?
2: UMass Twitter's getting really, like... They're really thinking they're awesome, man. <laughs> they, like, got so super mad at me because my off-handed Twitter comment about them grinding out a win. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, look, I, I love... Uh, I love that all these games are on ESPN Plus though, because I can catch, yeah, can catch you know, games that I wouldn't necessarily watch otherwise. Um, but and keep up with the A10, especially in non-conference. It's it's weird to watch. I tweeted out a while back that uh, it's tough for me to watch A10 uh, non-conference because it's like I love Schadenfreude, so I love watching A10 yeah. teams <laughs> just get the hell beat out of them. But then, like, I've got to root for them. So it's a constant battle between my two personalities.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's the good thing, at least for me. Now that Xavier's out of the conference, I don't have anybody that I despise. But in general, I know how you feel. It's definitely, like, frustrating to see your rivals do well. Yeah, I hate watching you guys win games. (laughs) I bet. And, by
1: the way, you got to be nicer to UMass Twitter because you got to remember that St. Louis's non-existent zero and zero football team has one less win than UMass this year.
2: Ooh, wait a minute, hold on. You know, you do know we invented the forward pass, right? I had no idea. Show some, res- <laughs> put some respect on that name, Bradbury Robinson. Google it.
0: <laughs> we might have to do an A10 mid-major football podcast at some point. Talk about some old football
2: inventions. Seriously, go look up. Uh, I'll send you guys the link. Uh, go look at. Go read the Wikipedia article. It is. It is fascinating. It involves uh, Wisconsin politics and uh, uh, the forward pass. Wow. I, I look <laughs> Like the, the forward pass was created because football people were dying. Yeah. On the field, yeah. um, and uh, a guy named Bradbury Robinson came and played for St. Louis University and uh, threw the first one. So you know. I'm talking. We have, we're, our football team is undefeated for like 80 years.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. That's the that's the those are the nuggets of history you get when you bring on great guests that know their school. So that, that's uh, what I'm talking uh, about. You,
2: yeah. If you want more nuggets, you just call me. <laughs> I got a lot of them.
1: So I, I want to close this thing out with one very very important question about the Billikens: Will they or will they not finish dead last in the A10 and free throw percentage this year?
2: Uh, it depends. I thought you were going to ask me what is a Billiken, but I figured you knew that. That's where I thought that last question was going because it I'll always leave, is.
1: I'll leave that to the Duquesne student section. They've kind of just taken that corner as their
2: own. Do they not have the internet in Pittsburgh? Is it that? <laughs> is it that terrible of a city?
0: Oh, man. Uh,
2: no, uh, it all depends on how often Hassan French gets the free throw line. Uh, if he is the leader in free throws taken, most likely because if you look down the free throws for last game, all of our guys except for Jimmy Bell were over fifty percent. Um, and I trust Jimmy Bell taking free throws actually. So it all depends on how often Hassan French gets to the line, and if he can fix it, his shot does. I sit behind the basket at these games, and it's it's yeah, I I don't know
0: well for what it's worth you guys are ahead of i love you hassan (laughs) french you're
2: awesome i'm sorry if you listen to this i'm trying not i don't want to be mean i'm pretty sure
0: hassan french doesn't listen to this Uh, pretty confident if he he does hassan come on
2: podcast guy (laughs) Uh,
0: all right well tyler you got anything else about swoo
1: no i am unless you got something right there i think we uh might as well plug the House That Rick Built podcast. You can follow them on Twitter at House Rick Built. Uh, our great guest Zach Miller, his
2: co-host Colin Kessler. Uh, what are you guys weekly? Uh, we are like, it depends. Whenever, whenever the men and women finish a game, that's when we record. Um, you can follow me at Big Game Goat Oh Five. Um, don't ask me that one. Uh, and <laughs> you can follow Colin and uh, one second I don't even know I think it's Colin underscore Kessler two l's two s's uh, we're okay follows I, I don't know I have random thoughts about the show recess <laughs> and other things I talk about the mighty ducks a lot you know make random observations about why Gordon bombay did a certain thing but <laughs>
1: I, I think you, from this, I think we can tell you you're also doing a fair amount of trolling around a10 Twitter too. Oh,
2: do I love trolling a10 Twitter? We we it's, look
1: forward to your inevitable beef with Tori.
2: I don't. Know. I don't even. Who is Tori? Who even is he? He, he? He's he's an unknown.
1: <laughs> See, this is how we know he's sta- he stayed safely away from the bitter core of a10 Twitter. Doesn't even know who Tori is. That's it. good for you
2: you know I, I know who sully is and that's enough for me <laughs> there you go so with that thanks we'll, boys for having me on we'll wrap it up thank you for
1: coming on zach uh, everybody be sure to listen to the house that rick built podcast
2: yeah thanks again man mvcu takes down will wade and lsu 84 82
0: we're back Let's get started with one of the biggest games of the first two weeks: the VCU Rams, who beat LSU eighty-four to eighty-two. Marcus Santos Silva led with sixteen or seventeen points and eleven rebounds, and this was a win that left all the fans who dressed up as FBI agents very happy.
1: Man, I, I'm I'm just disappointed right now. You stole my FBI joke, but. <laughs> All in all, it was a really fun night at the Seagull Center. It was great to see the VCU fans get so into this game. I know one of our biggest complaints with some of the teams in the A10 is that the fan support isn't always quite there. That was absolutely not an issue on Wednesday. On I guess it was yeah Wednesday, Wednesday night. Yep. And more importantly than the fan support. This team, after seemingly falling apart two or three different times in the second half and then losing Marcus Evans to a foul out, which was basically a death sentence all of last year, managed to they managed to pull this game out. And the biggest reason why in that final minute, Darionte Jenkins took it upon himself to be the guy in the final moments and drew a foul shooting a tough three.
0: Yeah, definitely some big-time performances from guys like Jenkins just stepping up at the end there. This was my most highly anticipated non-conference game out of all the A-10 teams, and it certainly lived up to my expectations. There was a good article out there about how VCU requires its former coaches to come back and play a home game for VCU and you could tell, I don't think it would be quite the same when Anthony Grant and Shaka Smart left VCU, because I feel like they left on better terms. But it's clear that VCU fans really wanted to beat Will Wade. They got their wish. I do have to say, though, LSU actually, all things considered, they played a pretty good game. I don't think too many more teams are going to go in to a game against VCU and score 82 points, especially since they had 26 turnovers that game. So that's going to be a quality win once we're getting ready to make the brackets up in March. And that should pay dividends for the A-10, too.
1: Yeah, and the 82 points is even more shocking, too, when you consider how impressive the VCU defense was in the first half. I went into halftime of this game with the Rams being up by 12, really feeling like they were a top 15 team in the country on that end of the floor. And – You can poke holes in that statement by saying LSU scored 38 points. That's not exactly an impressive number to stop them to. But a lot of that was just crazy shot making and pure SEC talent getting them those buckets. And then in the second half, VCU stopped forcing turnovers. It turned out that really attacking the Tigers at the at the point and around the half-court line was what made the defense so great in the first half. And in those long possessions, they were kind of struggling to keep them off the board. And I don't know if that's a concern going forward. Obviously, this was a great win, but it was kind of alarming that VCU's defense was so much worse in the second half.
0: Yeah, that's true. Although... I think a lot of it just had to do with LSU having a really good shooting night because they shot a great percentage that game. And the, the issue, the reason they weren't able to win is just because they weren't able to get that many shots up considering they had so many turnovers. I think you're right that a lot of that just has to do with the talent level. This is an S- LSU team that will be going back to the tournament, assuming they don't have any major violations between now and then. But I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if... Other A-10 teams are going to give VCU quite that much trouble on the defensive end. Still, though, they were able to get the big stops when they needed to at the end of the game. That last possession, forcing the ball out of bounds, was huge. And I just... I I will say, before we move on from VCU, one thing I was a little bit concerned about, I felt like they took way too many three-pointers. They kind of fell in love with that at the end of the first half, which that helped them get their lead. They extended it to double digits right before halftime on three three three-pointers in a row. But I kind of felt like they kept up that strategy in the second half when they shouldn't have, especially since they were getting LSU in foul trouble. I thought they could have done more to attack the rim. And overall, VCU isn't really a great shooting team, so I don't know if that was the best plan. And once they started just jacking up threes, that sort of let LSU get back into the game when they missed a few. So... I don't know if that's something we're going to. If ECU took 28 threes that game, I wouldn't expect that many very often from them. And overall, I just kind of felt like when they were going inside the guys like Marcus Santos Silva and Vince Williams, they were having more success. So we'll see what happens in the future, but I was kind of surprised by that in this game.
1: Yeah, and three really big positives that I took out of this game from the Rams. Number one, the first half defense. And the fact that they managed to force 26 turnovers from an elite offense, like you mentioned earlier, obviously that's an unsustainable number. But I think that the idea that this press could get back to almost shock a havoc level is really realistic. And we believed from the beginning of the year that this was going to be the best defense in the A-10. The first half of this game made me think that that was a lock and I think that that's more of what the Rams are than in the second half. If they can get to the point where they're forcing 20 turnovers a game, then we have to start talking about what they're capable of on the national level. Because we know they're going to be great behind the ball. But if they have a great press going again, they're probably a top 15 team in the country. Number two thing I really took out of this The biggest flaw with this team is what happens when Marcus Evans is out of the game. How do they run the offense? He fouls out late on a call that we don't need to relitigate, but it was a terrible call. And Derriante Jenkins just says, hey, I'm the guy here. That three-pointer he took was not that great of a shot. And their other possessions without Evans weren't particularly inspiring. But last year, I can't even recall one single play late in a game where someone besides Marcus Evans just took it on their back. And then number three, the the biggest thing for me, Marcus Santos Silva, as was predictable, continues to grow as an offensive player. And in this game, most impressively was just how he was moving without the ball. He just had beautiful cuts throughout the game. Really, I thought that the best part of VCU's offense was when they were able to find him coming out of the pick and roll, moving towards the hoop, not only just getting himself open lamps, but making some pretty fantastic passes out of those cuts. He only had one assist, but I think if we had done hockey assists in this game, he would have had three, four, maybe even five more. And I, I thought that he was the best guy for them in this game.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely regretting putting Marcus Santos Silva on my preseason third team. I think so far this year, he's been a first-team player. I think he's been one of the best five or six, however they do it this year. But he's been one of the best players in the conference. And we, we knew he could play defense, but offensively, too, his growth has been really impressive. And one more thing I want to say before we move on from VCU. Uh, you mentioned Evans, how when he's out of the game, it's kind of hard for them to generate offense. I think as the season goes on, we're going to see more and more out of Bones Highland, their freshman backup point guard. He didn't do a ton in the LSU game. He did have five points, but today against Jacksonville State, he had 12. He made two three-pointers. I think he was one of their highly-rated recruits. He's already getting about 20 minutes a game. And I think by the end of the season, when VCU has a solid backup point guard to go to, that's going to be really big for them. because. As we saw when Evans went down last year with an injury, they just had no chance against UCF. So now that they have another good ball handler, I think that's going to really improve the Rams.
1: Yeah, and I'm still really concerned about what happens to them without Evans if he does get hurt again. Fingers crossed that it doesn't happen. But you make a great point with Bones Highland, and I think we're basically already at the point where the 10 or so minutes a game where Evans is on the bench... I think their offense is in pretty decent hands. And as long as you have a proven scorer out there, whether it's Jenkins or Santos Silva, to help Highland out and give him a guy to lean on, I I think that could be a pretty good offense.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think VCU, their offense started out real slow last year, but it's already looking better this year. And they just have so many more... Guys like with Santos Silva improving on that end, it seems like they just have more options on offense. So now let's let's move across the city to a team that we know is really good on offense, the Richmond Spiders, who it, they are now three and zero, and they took down Wake or not Wake Forest, Vanderbilt, ninety three to ninety two in overtime. Huge game out of Jacob Gilliard, twenty six points. Seven steals, he had some really impressive plays on fast breaks caused by the steals. And it ended on a walk-off free throw by Andre Gustafsson after he was fouled at the buzzer. Tyler, what do you think about Richmond so far? They're 3-0, and they're scoring over 90 points a game. Is this team a contender?
1: They absolutely are. And this is still more so just where I felt that they were at going into the season. Getting dragged into overtime by St. Francis of Pennsylvania didn't exactly do a ton to boost my opinion of them. But the offense looks fantastic. The defense is still an issue. Um, The rebounding is a huge issue. I know that's something that we mentioned earlier. I know Noah Goldberg of A10 Talk wrote an entire article about how this was going to be a big problem for them. They're minus four in the rebounding category. But, as you said, scoring not an issue, they got five guys putting up double figures, including two, Jacob Gilliard at 22.7, and the suddenly very healthy Nick Sherrod at 22 a game. And my big question to you, is Jacob Gilliard actually really underrated, or are we just going to spend all year with everyone complaining about Gilliard being underrated when everyone actually realizes he's really
0: good? I think Jacob Gilliard, the best like, cross-sport comparison I can come up with is Anthony Rendon, who was underrated for years, and then all of a sudden, about two years ago, people realized he's actually like a top-ten hitter in baseball. I think Gilliard finally started getting that respect at the end of last year, when I think he ended up making the second team. And let me just say, he made some all-conference plays at the end of that Vanderbilt game, He had some really smooth layups. He hit some deep three-pointers off steals, and I just think he's kind of the the engine that makes this team go, especially on the defensive end, because Richmond has struggled to defend all year. He's kind of been the exception there. He's just got really quick hands on defense, and he can put pressure out on the perimeter. Obviously, he's not really going to help their rebounding issues that much, but... I think at this point, Gilliard has been one of the most impressive players in the conference. And yeah, I think by the end of the year, he won't be underrated anymore. People are going to know the name, especially if Richmond is good this year. People will find out. Yeah, and my biggest regret with this team is leaving Jacob Gilliard off
1: my preseason all-defensive team, looking like an, just an absolute steals monster. He was leading the entire NCAA going into today. Obviously, that's small sample size, but certainly a guy who could finish in the top five. And for me, I'm just really impressed with how good the offense has been. With Grant Golden putting up less than 11 points a game, that's not going to sustain. Like, he's going to get back to his normal like 16 and 10 for this team. And they're playing pretty great even
0: though he's struggled with some injuries here early on yeah in the Vanderbilt game Golden only had six points they really didn't get much out of him and part of that might have been his recent injury but one guy too we have to talk about Blake Francis their transfer from Wagner he had 24 points that game and that's just another shooter you have to worry about for Richmond I will say though while I I do feel good about this. I correctly predicted that Richmond would be one of the best offensive teams. This might be an exaggeration, but I, I almost feel like the city of Richmond, Virginia has the A10's best and worst defensive team. That that sort of changed today because Richmond held Cal State Northridge to only 62 points, but they're still giving up three-pointers or they're giving up 42% from beyond the arc, which is just awful. Hopefully that goes down, but I there's not much to be excited about defensively. Still, they are three and zero though. They haven't they've avoided brutality so far, which is a lot more than you can say what they did last year. I just I don't know. They're not going to score ninety points every game. Eventually, their shooting's going to cool off. I want to see if they can win a game defensively where they need to get some key stops. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that
1: their defense is capable of doing something like holding Lipscomb to 36 points. But they're not the worst defense in the conference. That, my friend, is the St. Joseph's Hawks. And Cameron Crutwig proved that to us last night. This team needs Anthony Longprey back bad. I went on a, a small Twitter rant about this. Their rim protection's just non existent. They get a little bit from Lorenzo Edwards, but that's it. And the entire second half of the Saint Joe's Loyola game, a game that Saint Joe's controlled for the first half. Loyola just realized they could get a layup basically every play and then started finally kicking it out for threes again. That was the only reason their offense slowed down. I Loyola's offense isn't exactly gonna be better than at least half the teams in the A ten. So yeah, I'm not I'm not putting Richmond at the bottom. There, because probably not if the they worst, were in that right? game, even if they were getting crushed at some point, Jacob Gilliard would have just gotten a steal or two and started to slow the pleading.
0: Yeah, R- Richmond's probably not the worst defense so far. I'd say they're probably in the bottom four or five, but luckily their offense has been enough to overcome that so far. And so that's actually a good transition. We got a Twitter question from Harold Hawk, one of our more passionate followers and a passionate St. Joe's fan, who asked us to talk about Ryan Daly and how great the Hawks have been in the first half of their games. So you already covered Loyola. Uh, The Hawks actually were up by double digits for part of the first half, and they were playing very well. They kind of ran out of gas in the second half, and I kind of feel like that was also an issue against Old Dominion, where they took an early lead. This team has come out of the gates hot, especially against UConn, but I feel like their depth has already been catching up to them, and you added that they're missing Longpre. They just have a thin rotation, and they've been giving up a lot of points in the second half of games, so I don't know if they're just getting tired or what's going on. I'm still impressed overall by the Hawks. They're sitting at 2-2 two and two with the most difficult schedule in the A-10 so far but their second-half performance has been a pretty major issue so far. So they're through their first four games, they are plus 21 in the first
1: half and then minus 37 in the second half. It's actually a bigger gap between their scoring output than their defensive output. They have 180 first-half points, 139 second-half points. And so not only has the defense started to turn – But the offense has taken a big drop off, too. Uh, From the defensive side of the ball, I think it's just coaches are able to get a feel for this atrocious defense in the first half. And then from there, the halftime adjustments have really been what's killed St. Joe's so far. Not really anything that they're doing wrong, but just what other teams have been able to do right. And then... Like you said, with the thin rotation, as these guys start to tire out, the three balls stop falling. And this is exactly what happened in the UConn game and the Loyola game. Now, on the bright side, going along with Harold's question, Ryan Daly, 19.3 points a game so far. He's only shooting 25% from three. That'll go up as the year goes on. But he is a slashing master. This is a guy who can really get himself into the paint at will and is a pretty good passer from out of traffic. That's been really what's kind of fueled this St. Joe's three-point revolution. He's, he's a guy who's terrific at getting himself into the middle and then finding all these shooters around him, Taylor Funk,
0: Cameron Brown. It, he's the point guard that they need. Yeah, I didn't even expect him to be the point guard because he mostly played off the ball at Delaware, but they kind of needed him there because they really don't have any other point guards on their roster, and he's been great. He's got over six assists a game, nine rebounds a game, too. I mean, he's really doing it all for them, and I, I think it's pretty clear that he, he could be a star in this conference. We weren't really sure what to project for him just because we thought St. Joe's was going to be terrible, and we didn't know how his performance in the CAA would translate here. But so far he's been super impressive, and I I think he's definitely got a chance to make an all-conference team. He could even be a first teamer at this point. I mean I, I think the most impressive thing too, against Old Dominion, he put up a double double with rebounds and assists, and he only had eight points that game. So he he came very close to a triple double already. And For a Hawks team that needs somebody to step up and that needs a leader, he really does a lot of things for them, and that's been fun to watch. Yeah, and I don't know if this is a bold prediction given his numbers so far,
1: but I want to lock this in as one of my first predictions of this season. I know if this was inside the NBA, we could go put the sticky notes up on the wall, but I really think Ryan Daly's going to lead this conference's guards and rebounds this year. He's just, he's a very gutty player. That's what I've gotten from watching him here in the early going. He's absolutely not afraid to go crashing in to boards or to create chaos and kick out. He, he actually kind of, this is a crazy comparison because he obviously doesn't have the same level of athleticism, but he kind of goes about the game in a very similar way as Russell Westbrook there's almost kind of a reckless abandon to how he plays. And he's just an incredibly tough player. He plays like someone who's four to five inches taller than he is. And if the jumper starts to fall for him, the assists and the rebounds are going to be there all year. And so the path to him being an all-conference player has definitely been written out. And if he can get to about... 35 to 37 percent from three and the big if if st joe's can finish with a respectable record then he's got a great he's got a great argument
0: for first team all conference he's honestly kind of reminded me of guys like jordan goodwin and john axel goodmanson so far just guards that kind of play above their size and fill up the stat sheet That's been fun to watch, and in general, St. Joe's, if if you like offense, this team is super interesting because they play at the 8th fastest tempo in the country, and over half their shots are three-pointers, so if you want to see a a team that's going to run and gun, this is probably the perfect team for you, and maybe that's why they're getting tired in the second half and they're missing all their threes after building a lead, but At least when it's clicking, their offense is one of the best ones in the conference, at least so far. One other thing I want to
1: throw on here before we move on from the Hawks, Uh, they've really been kind of mixing things up with the back end of the bench. Billy Lang's been giving everybody a try, just really trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. And the one guy who's impressed me is Sharif Knox, the freshman. He's not a particularly polished player at this point. I'm not 100% sure what his key primary skill is, but he reminds me a lot of Vince Williams early last year for VCU, where it's just really clear that he understands how to play the game of basketball. He's got some great athleticism. He's a pretty decent rebounder. And I think his freshman year is going to be filled with a lot of bumps and bruises as he becomes a more polished player. But he's a guy that I really like just to, as an option of an athlete. Somebody you can throw out at one of those two forward positions and hope to get some good rebounding numbers from him. Not, I don't I Like I said, I don't expect a ton from him this year because I think he's just unpolished. But he's somebody who
0: next year, two years down the road, should be a really, really good starter for the Hawks. I agree on his athleticism, and I've seen him do some pretty good things this year but you're right, he does need to polish his game. He had eight turnovers against Loyola, which St. Joe's as a whole turned the ball over a lot, but no, I agree. I, I think he's got a, a bright future. All right, so let's move back to the SEC domination by the A-10. Rhode Island hosted Alabama and defeated them 93-79. to After a slow start where they turned the ball over their first couple possessions, they pretty much controlled the game. From there on, it got close and late in the second half, but they pulled away. Just a really nice win for Rhode Island after a tough loss to the Maryland Terrapins. They're two and one now, and yet another quality win here for the A10 in the first two weeks.
1: Two big takeaways for me one, Jeff Dalton is one of the 10 to 12 best players in this conference, talent wise. He's just not aggressive enough, but we'll we'll get to that later. The other one, we talked about how there really wasn't much of a change between this year's team and last year's team. They lost a few back end of the bench guys like Ryan Preston and really only replaced them at the moment until the transfers become eligible. With Jacob Toppin and the early going, is Jacob Toppin's just way better than those end of the bench guys he replaced. And so automatically, even without the improvement from their other guys, this is a better team than last year. He's this kind of versatile bench weapon that they really didn't have last year. They, they had a big lack of depth, and basically everyone they pulled out was somewhat of a copy skill-wise of one of their starters. He now becomes a, a very interesting X factor on a night-in, night-out basis for the Rams.
0: Yeah, and I feel like he's one of their only kind of taller guys that can shoot the ball, too. Um, And the fact, I I pointed out that he was playing crunch time minutes for Rhode Island. He was in there with a couple minutes to go once the game got close. And they already trust him in that role, which I think is huge. If you can put a freshman out there this early in the season, that's just got to be great for his confidence and his teammates. But overall, I've been impressed by Rhode Island this year. The loss to Maryland was tough, but that's a top 10 team right now, so that's completely understandable. Rhode Island's offense has just been way better this year. They're shooting the ball great. Jeff Dowden and Tyrese Martin are both 6-for-13 on three-pointers this year. And then also, I think we have to talk about Fats Russell. And I know he's taken some heat around the A-10 community, but I feel like he's already been much smarter this year with his shot selection. He's been a way better distributor so far. He's got 16 assists to just five turnovers through his first three games. When you add all that with one of the most dominant big men in Surreal Bangervine, I think this team could potentially be a contender. They've looked good so far. Here's the thing I don't get. If
1: Fats is going to be their point guard, and it seems like he is with 16 assists through three games, then why is Jeff Dalton still only shooting the ball 11 times? He goes nine for eleven shooting. Like I just, I don't get it. He is obviously at the moment. Langevin's their best guy, and Fats is kind of their 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 offensive controller. I actually think Doughton is their most talented player, and I I just people are talking about them after this win as being an NCAA tournament contender. If Dalton's going to keep playing passively and keep deferring to Fats 100% of the time, I don't think they can do it. Like I, I think their ceiling goes up by three or four wins if he's willing to just take the reins and be the guy.
0: Yeah, it is kind of interesting that even though he's mostly the one playing off the ball, he's not really putting up as many outside shots as you'd expect. I still feel like for now because of how well Fats is running their offense and how much better of a job he's done of getting his teammates involved, I think it can work for now. Although, I, I do think you're right that at some point, Dalton might need to take over a game and step up and just take more shots in general. So, I, I don't know. That will be interesting. I do think the balance has been better this year, though. Because even though Fats, I mean, he's, still, he's always going to put up a lot of shots, but that's gone down this year, which I think is good and the differential in shooting between those two guys hasn't been as big but I am interested to see if they kind of keep with that strategy over the rest of the season or if eventually we see Doughton end up shooting more at some point yeah and two more things I want to throw in
1: on the Rams number one the three-point shooting still isn't quite there statistically yet for him but Tyrese Martin his jumper looks a lot smoother now. He took a few mid-ranges in that Alabama game that just looked better than really anything he had taken last year. And I actually pulled it up. I, I guess I'm wrong. He's 6 of 13 from 3 so far. Um, last year, he always felt like the logical choice for guy who could fix their shooting. And now it looks like he's finally starting to do it, and so that changes Rhodey's ceiling. And then just looking ahead for them, they play Nichols State this week, and I know that seems like a typical pushover game, and it's a buy game, and Rhodey's playing really well. Just uh, be a little careful. Nichols State's pretty good, and this, is, this has the potential to be an epitome of brutality, even if Rhode Island plays well. So... I just really hope the Rams don't take it lightly.
0: Yeah, that's fair, Um, especially after last year when they they lost some head-scratchers toward the end of the year. You don't want to take any game lightly. And so I guess it's only fair because we've talked about all the wins over the SEC. We need to talk about the A-10's loss to the SEC and a team that also had their own head-scratcher early in the season, the Davidson Wildcats, who are now... 1-2 1-2 after picking up their first win of the season against UNC Wilmington at home. We'll start with the Auburn game. They lost 76-66 on a neutral court. Just kind of fell behind early and never really made a run to get back into the game in the second half.
1: Yeah, they. it was predictable, but they missed Keyshawn Pritchett in that game. This, that was the kind of night that they just couldn't be without their power forward given that their perimeter guys were pretty small even with him, against that big front line of Auburn with Luka Brekovic just not showing any ability to stay out of foul trouble. They really needed him. But the bigger concern in that one was just Grady and John Axel combining to go 4 of 17 from the floor. The only reason this game was close is Luke Frampton was pretty fantastic. Carter Collins was great off the bench. And they got a few super timely threes from Mike Jones, who's now looking like another potential option at the four position for them. But Davidson's biggest problem last year is their two stars tended to disappear at very inopportune times. And I'm afraid that the Auburn game showed us that that might happen again.
0: The biggest surprise for me so far... So since that first game, Kelvin Grady's been playing a little bit better. But we really haven't seen much out of John Axel so far. His season high in points is just 12. And he really... I mean, he's still putting up good numbers, so I don't want to say he's not playing well. But maybe just not what we were expecting after the first couple games. I just... if Davidson's going to be a contender... Those two guys are going to need to be all conference level because Davidson just doesn't really have the depth to back them up. They kind of struggled in the front court this year. Bragovich just had his first good game of the year against UNC Wilmington, but he struggled a lot against Charlotte and Auburn. And dealing with the Pritchett injury, Davidson really—they haven't been able to play a deep rotation like they wanted to. I think John Axel—the the only way Davidson at this point can make a run at the tournament is if both John Axel and Kelvin Grady, they, they need to play at their highest level because they're, they have the talent to be two of the five or six best players in this conference. And I just don't think we've quite seen that yet.
1: Yeah, we definitely haven't. Hopefully we do soon. And one other game I want to touch on real quick. Duke Kane gives up 36 points to Lipscomb. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Lipscomb got kind of unlucky from the three-point line, which is obvious considering that they made zero of them the whole game, but Duquesne only made one and still blew them out of the water, and I don't know. it It was a really impressive game from the Dukes defensively. I loved seeing what Michael Hughes was able to do guarding some quicker forwards, and they were really using him at the head of the defense. He was getting steals. Everyone was getting steals. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a great analytical take to this game because the simple fact of the matter is Duquesne just played incredible rock-hard defense, and I just think that that deserved a shout-out.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually impressed so far. I came into this season thinking Duquesne was going to be one of the weaker defensive teams, And so far, they've actually been pretty good. Now, maybe part of that has to do with it, maybe it's tough to shoot in that high school gym they've been playing in, which I know that's kind of out of their hands, but... Gosh, there's been some ugly offensive games over their second and third games of the year there. But so far, I mean, they're they're playing really well. They've had three pretty comfortable wins, although the Lamar game got kind of close at some points. But... That's a good start for the Dukes, and any time you hold someone under, under 40 points, I mean, that doesn't happen all that often, so that that was an interesting game, and I don't think they're going to do that again necessarily, but it's it's just been a good start for Duquesne.
1: And, and by the way, that's not a high school gym, because if you go, I, I want to say about, about a mile and a half down the road to North Allegheny High School, right from a right, little trip down 79 from where Duquesne was playing, I'm pretty sure that NH gym is actually bigger than the division three
0: gym that LaRoche is playing in. I mean, I'm just going to say if we're going to call the Tom Golda arena, a high school gym, then wherever LaRoche plays, that's, that's even smaller. Although, Hey, they're two and O there, so they might as well call it home now. <laughs> so I was going to, at the end of this, I was going to close with a, uh, a shout out and a
1: criticism, but since we're on, I'm just going to do it now. Um, just what the hell, Duquesne? Like, this always seems stupid, but now it's really kicking in as I watched Duquesne play against Lamar on a court whose logo actually looked really close to the Lamar Cardinal logo. It did. Um, I, I, this comes from somebody who's been to Palumbo so many times in his life and has just gotten used to it. It certainly needs improvements, especially in the hallways and with the concession stands. But I don't think it needed an overall facelift. And the biggest issue is I just don't understand how a Division One team just shuts down their gym for a year. We saw it with UD Arena. They renovated literally the entire place and missed exactly zero basketball games because they figured out how to do it over the summer. And so for Duquesne, this is this is a program that's trying to grow. and As they try to build their fan base, which is something I think they did last year, this is just, this is not a good
0: decision.
1: And this is just going to age worse and worse as the year goes on.
0: Yeah, I mean, all I can say about that is the new arena better be really nice to make it worth it, because that is a, a tough situation moving all around the city, playing your home games all over the place. So hopefully it's worth it, but that is, that is tough. Definitely not ideal. All right, so I guess real quick before we move on to a couple more Twitter questions to wrap things up, since you talked about the U.K., I, I got to throw Dayton out there. The Flyers are two and zero. Uh, Nail biter against Indiana State; they only won by five points, and then they destroyed Charleston Southern, ninety to sixty one. Offensively, Dayton has just been amazing so far. I mean, they're leading the country in two-point percentage at 71%. Defensively, this team's kind of been a mess so far. They're giving up a ton of three-pointers, just giving up points off ball screens. It's been rough, and no one really has stepped up as that key defender. I think this is something that can turn around, because Dayton wasn't a bad defensive team last year, although they weren't great. But so far, they've let some bad teams Hang around longer than they should have due to their defense. Yeah.
1: And one of the guys that I want to single out, obviously, it's been the OB show so far this year. He had seven dunks last night. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's going to lead the country in dunks this year. Yeah. I, I was going to do that as like a big question, but the more I think about it, the more I realize it, I think it's just going to happen. If, if there were betting odds on it, he'd probably be a minus favorite at this point. Yeah. But, <laughs> The guy I want to mention is Rodney Chapman, the point guard transfer from Ch- Chattanooga, who's going to be playing a lot of two this year next to Jalen Crutcher. But he's he's really shown a lot of what Dayton has lacked outside of Crutcher in these past few years. He's a good knockdown shooter from the outside. He's going to be a great secondary playmaker when Crutcher's on the bench. He actually had eight assists yesterday. And then he's just a petulant nuisance on defense guarding ball handlers. Kind of reminds me of Tavian Dunmartin martin last year, just constantly harassing guys at the midcourt line. But everything Chapman has shown me so far this year, even though they've played some poor teams, it's all things that are very sustainable skills. And... I think he's somebody we're overlooking as potentially
0: the number three guy for Dayton this season. So that actually, real quick before we move on from Dayton, I didn't expect this, but we have a a question from four minutes ago as we record this from our good friend Matt. He wants to know, who have been the Flyers' best five so far, and who do you think will start start going forward? And I'll just start off by saying I think they're going to roll with the starting lineup they had against Charleston Southern. Where they replaced Trey Landers or they replaced Chase Johnson with the senior Trey Landers. And then next to him they had Obi Toppin, Ryan Meixel, Jalen Crutcher, and then Chapman. I feel like those five guys have been playing well so far. Dayton really hasn't gotten that much out of Ibby Watson, which has been surprising. And Chase Johnson has been up and down. He had a couple nice dunks in the last game, but I thought Landers just had a better all around game. I think for now, they're going to roll with that lineup, although that could change when Jordy comes back from injury. Still no concrete updates on him. Not really sure when we're going to get him back. So I think Landers is going to stay in the lineup for right now. But what do you think? Do you think someone else should start at this point, or should Dayton just stick with the current lineup?
1: Well, first of all, I think Jordy dancing on the bench during the TV broadcast yesterday. Was my highlight of the Dayton and season so far. <laughs> but other than that, I, I think a clear top four is really kind of showing itself. Obviously, OB, Crutcher, Mike Zull, and now Rodney Chapman. I think it's going to be those guys most of the year. And then between the rest of the guys, there's actually a ton of flexibility. Just really, they can play based on the opponent. I think long term, it's still going to be EB Watson. He's just – we've just heard too much about how fantastic he is just as an all-around player. Guys who said that he might be just as good as Obi, which I, I don't think that's true. But I know he's going to be a good shooter in the long term. I think once we get to February, it's going to be him. At the moment, it's Trey Landers, who still doesn't look quite 100% healthy but looks a lot better than he did down the stretch last year when he was clearly ravaged by injuries. And he gives them some extra rebounding that they really lacked throughout last season and gives them a great on-ball defender really across the positional spectrum. I think he can basically guard just about anyone except for huge fives. And so I'd go with Trey right now, but I'm not sure it's going to stay that way for the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, I just think, Trey, he's been playing better offensively this year, and I I just think he's got more versatility than Chase Johnson, so I think he should start for now. All right, so let's get into... We have two more Twitter questions we'll finish up with. The first one comes from Stu, who says, Now that we know UMass is a steady, if not an excellent point guard in Sean East and won't need Claire Joe to run the offense... How does that change their outlook in your power rankings for the rest of the year? What's their new ceiling and floor if they can stay healthy? So UMass has actually been a, a pleasant surprise so far. They are 4-0 and after a huge win against Central Connecticut, 89-43. to I think we have to say right now, or I'll go on the record saying this, Sean East is not only, I think, the best freshman in the conference so far, if it ended today, after two weeks, which it never would, but I think he'd be one of the five or six best players in this conference. He's got 26 assists to just five turnovers. He's shooting the ball well from distance. He made an 80-foot buzzer beater at, to, to end the half in one of their games. He's been super impressive, and that was one of the questions we had, who would step up and be UMass's starting point guard? Now that we know it's him, I I think that definitely elevates the Minutemen's ceiling.
1: Yeah, and also elevating their ceiling is TJ Weeks, who just really has impressed me as a shooter and as a scorer. He's an incredibly confident player who plays with the confidence and, I guess, smoothness of a guy who's been in college basketball for a few years. And as those two have impressed here early on, their highest rated recruit, Trey Mitchell, has just been kind of slow getting into the groove of things. I I booked their ceiling up a little bit. I really was betting on this team from the beginning, being able to hit a high ceiling. So I really think the only thing that changes for me is that the floor has increased for them, where this, cha- this talent is still just so ridiculous that... I really don't think that they'll finish in the bottom two. I think it's still definitely possible, given how young they are, that they could end up in Brooklyn. But I'm going to stick with my original prediction for them—somewhere in the like nine or ten range, one of the top teams to avoid Wednesday. I would. Still I guess say, one of the bottom teams to avoid it.
0: Yeah, I think they're still probably around tenth or eleventh. I picked GW ahead of them preseason, which was a huge mistake. So definitely I'd put UMass ahead of them. Um, I think Sealing, they're not a contender yet. Everyone's been saying they're a year away for a while, which I think is still true, but I could see them reaching the middle of the pack. Um, TJ Weeks, as you pointed out, he's just a great scorer off the bench. He's shooting 11 for 21 on threes. And then the returning guards, Carl Pierre and Keon Clergeau have both been playing well too, so... Obviously, UMass hasn't played anybody good yet, and they're going to run into a tough part of their schedule pretty soon, so that's when we're going to get a much better idea. And one more thing I also want to point out, we don't know exactly what's going on because there really hasn't been that much information about it, but Cy Chapman hasn't played yet for UMass, which I had him pegged as one of their breakout candidates. If he comes back healthy at some point, that could be a huge boost to UMass, and move them even higher up in the standings, possibly. So definitely a good start to the season for UMass. They're still very young, so I don't think they're going to contend or anything, but it's got to be encouraging for their fans. All right, so we have one more Twitter question we'll finish up with. This comes from Bonna Commenter, who asks, should the 2025 A-10 tournament be in Toronto? And this comes after the Bonnies took down Rutgers at the Toronto Raptors Arena, their first win of the season.
1: Yeah, and it really was kind of, uh, is it Bonaventure North or Bonaventure West? I don't really know where uh, Toronto is compared to Olean on the exact line of the map, but plenty of Bonnie's fans in the building. Uh, Toronto would be a pretty fun city to have the tournament. The only two issues I can think of is in March, still colder than Brooklyn. And I don't know, what, what percentage of A10 Twitter do you think already has their passports?
0: <laughs> I mean, probably a decent amount of Bonnie's fans. I don't know about the rest of the conference, like especially those those of us not as close to Canada. But that, that could be a fun sight. I mean, definitely, I definitely think we'd see an uptick in Bonnie's fans compared to the rest. <laughs> But that was just a big win for them, too. Much needed to turn their season around. And they badly need Oshunye back, but good to take down a Big Ten school, even if it is Rutgers. So, I don't know. If if the Bonnies win some more games up north, I maybe the A-10 could do them a favor and put the tournament there. We'll, we'll see about that.
1: Yeah, and the, the Raptors' super fan showed up to that game. <laughs> I saw so. that.
0: They took a picture with them we, after we the can... game.
1: I guess we can get some uh, some celebrity presence at the A ten tournament. Something that we lost when Costas left early.
0: <laughs> I don't think Dayton lost very much when Co- Costas left early, but that's a no- that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> All right. And, and so
1: before we close this out, I wanna give my shout out of the week. And it goes to Mark Schmidt. The Bonnies roll into yesterday's game at 0 3, just Badly, badly missing a shoon, and so they decide to tinker. Justin Winston and Alejandro Vasquez, the two freshmen, go into the starting lineup for the first time. Vasquez puts up 20 points. Winston puts up 19. Those two, along with Kyle Lofton, really kind of carried them through that game, and they get a win over a top 75 team. And so the shout-out goes once again to the best coach in the A-10 for just continuing to find unheralded freshmen who may be fantastic players, and then really just kind of hitting all the right buttons yesterday, knowing that that team needed a win to right the ship.
0: Yeah, especially Winston. He's been an interesting story because I, I believe he's the Bonnie's first four-star recruit in many years. He only got one minute in their first game against Ohio, but he's already entered the starting lineup. And he could be really good for them. He had a great game against Rutgers. So I guess, since you did it, I'll give my shout-out of the week to a team we didn't even talk about tonight until now. George Mason, who started off 4-0. and And I, I just give it to them because they had a disastrous start to last season, where they pretty much knocked themselves out of any tournament contention this time last year. But they're 4-0. and they haven't played anybody great yet, but they're doing this without Justin Kyer, which is impressive. And just a good start to the year for them. They have one more home game before their schedule picks up. So that's just a, a big start. To any Anytime you're 4-0 is great. And also in general, too, I have to say, the undefeated map that we see tweeted for college basketball every morning... There is a lot more A-10 on representation on that than there was this time last year. It's just good to see several teams taking care of business against the teams that they should be.
1: Yeah, and my comment for Mason, who looks like they're going to be the team that makes every game fun, win or lose, it's going to be close. A.J. Wilson, who just kind of toiled around as a medium-minute backup center last year, has proven to be really kind of the perfect role guy center for a team that relies so heavily on their guards as opposed to their big men. Not a particularly impressive shooting night again last night, but he hauls down 12 rebounds, and he's now the crux of their defense. Their rim protection so much better than last year with him at the helm. He's a really good rebounder, and he's just an unselfish pick and roll guy. He's never going to do anything flashy, but I already know that when we do our that when I do my all role player team at the end of the year, he's gonna be a prime candidate for that center spot. He's he's just really helped to, I think, increase their ceiling just because of everything he does for them. He does all
0: the dirty work that they didn't have one to do down in the post last year. Yeah, he never really got much of a chance the last couple of years, but now that he's getting starters minutes, he has eighteen blocks in four games, which is super impressive. I think he's definitely got to be the favorite or one of the favorites to lead the A-10 in that by the end of the year, and he's really improved their inside defense, which wasn't all that great last year, so good to see him playing well. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks to those who sent us questions. If you want to contact us or send us other topics to talk about on the podcast, you can reach us on Twitter at 3BidLeaguePod, or you can email us at at threebidleague at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned for more.
2: Sweet.